Let's Talk Home Repair is sponsored by Matriarchy Build, who provide tele-DIY services connecting homeowners to vetted pros for one-on-one video consultations. Visit matriarchybuild.com to get guidance on projects as small as a leaky faucet or as big as a home remodel. You can even book a session with Amy themselves. Visit www.matriarchybuild.com. Tele-DIY. Like telehealth? Yeah. Cool. I know. Hi, I'm Amy, general contractor. And I'm Alicia, homeowner, and we're talking home Home repair. repair. Today we have several special guests. It is our happy hour episode. Every month that we have five weeks in, we have to do a happy hour episode. And we have some special, special guests in the studio and on the phone today. Amy, who do we have? We have Louise Hansen, owner of Wheezy's Plumbing here in Seattle. We have Alice Lockridge of... Profit. Profit. And then we have Katie Chaplin from uh, Wood Technology Center, instructor there. So she is online with us. And of course, we have Alicia and myself. And one of the other reasons that we're doing this now is today is the first day of March, which is Women in History Month. Yes. Women and their influence. And, and I feel that you guys are all influencers and... I might be too just a little bit, but yeah. So I wanted to get some great people together and just have a conversation about the different things that we're doing. I know, Louise, you've got some great things going on and Alice does as well. And Katie, they're teaching that residential carpentry program at Wood Technology Center as well. So you guys can do a little introduction. You can tell us whatever you want to tell us about yourself. So let's start with Katie. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Katie Chaplin. I'm the lead carpentry instructor at Wood Technology Center, which is part of Seattle Central College. Students can earn an AA degree in carpentry in five quarters in our program. And we take them through everything from shop skills, basic hand tools, power tools, stationary power tools, ladder safety, ball protection, through building layout, foundations, concrete work, framing, floors, walls, complex roofs, stairs, interior, exterior finish, and remodel and preservation. We have a very strong focus in sustainable building, and we typically have a passive house or very high-performance building going on in our yard in addition to a traditional carpentry curriculum. Uh, Our students come from all over. We have a wide range of ages. We're about 40% women. These days, it's steadily going up since I've been teaching there since 2015. We're about, again, 45, 50% students of color, uh, and our ages range from occasionally 16, 17, up to kind of 60s, 70s, and we sort of take everybody. We're an open access public institution, training folks for careers in the trade. Great. How did you get there? What's, what's, your, what's your actual background, Katie? Yeah, so I got a philosophy degree and was moving to Seattle for something completely different, right? Right. And uh, I was working a job to get residency before I was going to go to grad school and something else, and I met somebody who was in the cabinetry program at what used to be called Gompers, which is now Wood Technology Center. And I was completely bowled away by the projects. And she said, you know, the school's really really great. You should come for a visit. And I went on my lunch hour. I was just working in a general store. And I walked into the boat building shop and was bowled away. And I was like, I want to learn how to do this. It's going to take me a couple of years to get to grad school. So let me just do this in the meantime. Mm. And it was by far the best education I ever received. Uh, It's what I always hoped Every other school I went to would have been, and I was so surprised that it was at a trade school at a community college. Mm. Uh, most of my classmates back in the very early 90s were from telecom, and telecom had gone bust, and, and everybody was downsized. So there are a lot of kind of 
mid-career people who are going back to get training in the trades. I was very early 20s. There were a few people about my age. And I went through the program, and it completely changed my life. I went to work in the marine industry as a carpenter for seven or eight years. Uh, got tired of that and switched over to residential construction and then found my way into uh, a cabinet shop before starting my own design build company uh, in the early 2000s. And right around then, I started teaching back at, at Wood Technology Center, and I was a kind of a steady sub in all the programs. Uh, and then in 2015 or in 2010, I started teaching the CAD program there uh, and started a CNC program. And then in 2015, was hired in the carpentry program. And in 2018, became tenured faculty and lead, lead instructor in the program when, when my predecessor retired. That's been my, my path. It was a, a path I never intended, but that one encounter with, with a colleague when I first moved to Seattle completely changed the, the course of my career. Wow, that's amazing. That's a I great that story. story. Yeah. yeah. All right, Louise, give us give us your story. All right, all right. It all started for me at a new uh, down at Renton oh, Technical okay. College back in the 90s. I went through that program. Uh, my dad was a sheet metal worker and my brother too. So I kind of come from a family that's blue collar, into the trades. Um, so I have been working with my hands since I was a kid. Uh, so it was pretty natural for me to move into something mechanical. So I went through that program and have worked a variety of construction jobs. I've been doing remodels new construction, uh, a lot of different aspects. Um, I've been kind of in management of that for over probably the last 15 years. So I haven't actually got my hands dirty for (laughs) that long. (laughs) That's awesome. And I started Wheezy's Plumbing. I was running a a small residential remodel company doing pretty high-end stuff in like Blue Ridge and Queen Anne. I was really struggling finding plumbers to work with that weren't just totally off the hook. Like, plumbers are bad. Um, what's the barrier? What's I mean, what what's wrong with them? They're super angry. Um, they're really... <laughs> what makes them angry? I think it's the stress. I mean, oh, okay. it's very... Because um, you're under time restraints? It's a and frustrating it's- job. Like, if you do one thing wrong... You know, if you solder one joint wrong, oh, yeah. you know, now you got to drain system. it all down, you do it again. Like, it really requires a lot of patience and even patient people. like And precision, like you say, if one thing goes wrong. Only goes wrong. And, you know, a flood is, you know, having a, a stud in incorrectly is one thing. Having your pipes in wrong is something totally different. Oh, yeah. Right, so right, right. So I, I think that it sort of breeds a little bit of frustration. Anyway... So we're having a hard time finding Hard time finding a plumber. So I hired one, had him come work for my general contracting company, but legality wise, it wasn't really isn't the way to do it. So I started Wheezy's mm. like oh eight, oh seven, oh eight, and they were doing a lot of my plumbing, but then we sort of started to snowball um with a lot of different clients and uh the recession happened. So my remodel company got very slow, not a lot going on, but the plumbing was like Real steady. Lots of water heaters, water services. Still need the pipes. Everybody still needs plumbing. Mm. So that really blossomed, and I just really ended up focusing on that over the last, man, as long as like like 14 years has gone by, (laughs) like a flash. Um, Like a flush. Yeah, like a flush. (laughs) Thank you, Ellis. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's, there's a struggle finding help. You know, there's finding good people and people who are committed to the trade. And 
Um, so I, I struggle trying to find the right people. And I do, I have kind of a soft spot for hire, hiring formerly incarcerated people. And they've really kind of turned out to be extremely loyal. Um, if they really want to change, it's like a good career to like make real money. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't all stayed with me, but they've definitely blossomed, had way better lives. Some of them moved on to other companies. And just the training that they received working with me has really changed their life. So for me, that's like a really important aspect of what I've done at Wheezy's. Four or five years ago, there were some opportunities to do new construction builds. Um, some of my friends were doing them. I partnered up with them. And I've done about 25 units in Seattle. Wow. And so where are you on that process? Like, are you still working with partners or are you now off doing that by yourself? I do some with partners, some by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of a matter of finances. It's it's kind of a lot of money. Sure. And now I'm pretty much can do them by myself. But I usually partner with a a contractor. Um, There's a guy I like to work with and he does, takes care of all the site work and he used to be a framer, so he's really good at the parts that I'm not. Like, I'm super good at, like, the plumbing, the electrical, utilities, because it really speaks to my experience. And he's really more, like, framing, cabinetry, this kind of thing. Cool. And that's that's kind of where I've started to focus my attention. I'm in the process of selling part of Wheezy's to one of my employees, so we'll be partners, uh, which has been super fun. He's been with me, like, the whole time. And um, What was your motivation for doing that? Selling it to him. I have a, I have other interests too, and really running that company is hundred percent all encompassing. Like I got to go there in the morning, line them all out. It's really a big thing, mm-hmm. um, and to have somebody to partner with kind of frees me up a little more sure. to look around for you know deals to do and that kind of thing. Awesome. That's a great place to be. I'm I'm looking forward to being in that place where I get to sell part of the company or all of the company. It's gonna happen. I know. Go it to is. the Bahamas. Absolutely. That's the goal, right? Right, right. I, I want to, you know, I'm going to follow in, in Wheezy's footsteps. Right, and, right. and, you know, it's like do a little development, my co-housing thing, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go lose yeah. your money there. I'm not going to lose any money there. <laughs> it's quite, it is pretty risky. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's it, it's, it can be very rewarding. But I've definitely lost money too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. They the did highs some, and the lows. The some some flipping back in the '90s and early 200s or 2000s, and whew, that was a steep learning curve. I did lose a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, I'm smarter now. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you learn from it, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Alice Lockridge, it is your turn. Tell us about yourself. Well, I have some similarities to everything you've heard so far and some vast differences. So uh, <laughs> I'm an exercise physiologist, which is a fancy word for a fitness instructor at a work site. <laughs> and uh, I've spent my career emphasizing my desire to help, assist, and support women in physically demanding jobs. So mm-hmm. a- af- after I graduated from the University of Washington with my master's degree, I went immediately to work for Seattle Fire Department. So I, tra- after the first three struggling people did it without me, I trained the next 21 women firefighters for the city of Seattle. Oh, cool. In the 70s. Wow. That's nice. Great. So all the audience is doing the math. <laughs> <laughs> She's very young. Very, very She's young. She's a teenage prodigy. I, I was yes. a baby. <laughs> so uh, we had a lot of... Uh, 
success. And it was an interesting coupling. Uh, my graduate school advisor, I was a pain in his behind. <laughs> I was Good. one of the only people in graduate school that had already taught school. I have been a teacher since I was 11 months old. Because that's when my little sister was born. (laughs) And I taught her everything she knows. (laughs) And not everything I know. (laughs) And if she was here, she would say, yeah. (laughs) So I was uh, demanding of the teachers. I used to go in and say, these are the smartest people I've ever been around. And they're terrible teachers. Mm. And he got really tired of hearing that. He didn't really care. And uh, he had this other... Burr under his saddle. He had been hired to do the research for the fire department. My quick view of it was to figure out how strong and how smart you have to be to be a firefighter. And being an old, uh, retired Marine, I don't think he wanted it to work. And he didn't really like that project, and I don't think he really liked me. And he was stuck with them both, and he thought, I could get rid of two birds with one stone. So he didn't want women in the in. in the I never department. asked him, but I read his language, his body language. got that. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So um, I think he wanted us to both fail. And he had a very hard time t- teaching the first three. One of them got hurt and left. One of them just left. Mm-hmm. And one of them was successful in his first three. And she was very successful, very famous firefighter here in Seattle. And she graduated and on the way out to go to recruit school. He had a little meeting with her and said, what do you think we could do to improve my program? And she said things like, oh, we need some kind of cheerleader or coach or helper or pusher because that little book you drew out for us to work out from, that wasn't enough. And so he said, okay. And he talked the fire department into hiring me. There wasn't really any hiring process. I all of a sudden was just there. And I had 11 students and then they all graduated and I had 11 more. And you know, some of them did very well. One of the women in my class went to Tacoma and became the chief. Wow. Uh, one of the first women chiefs, fire department of a major city, five foot tall. Mm. So he accidentally, magically put me in exactly the right place. I mean, I went to college before the word aerobic was used to describe a intensity of exercise. So I wasn't going, oh, I hope I grew up to be a physiologist. But I knew from the classes I t- took, I didn't want to be an ankle wrapper. I wasn't going to be kneeling at some athlete's knees, oh, okay. wrapping their ankles. <laughs> I wanted to do whatever that other adult fitness stuff was. And this is where it led me. So then right after that, I uh, hung around at Wise and stuff and did classes and advertised, if you want to get a man's job, maybe you better test and see if you really can do it and I can help you. And a woman named Ann Oxrider saw my little piece of half a piece of paper that I used to make at Kinko's. And um, she came by and said, uh, would you like to come and work for this new program I'm working on? It's called a new. And that was 1980. And she said, we don't have any money and we don't have any equipment. We don't really have a gym, but do you want to come? And I said, sure, I'll move to the other end of town. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll create that. <laughs> and I did. So, I wor- so what, were you, what were you creating there? A workout program, a fitness for work. So is that kind of like occupational therapy, or how is that different? A ther- occupational therapy would help you if you were hurt. Okay. I went to school and lived with a woman that was a physical therapist, so we studied much of the same things. Mm-hmm. But once she got you back to work, I took over. You're okay. You don't have any injuries. Let's make sure that you don't get any, and let's survive this job so that you can take that big paycheck home and even retire on it someday and be healthy enough to get around and not crippled up. So you're teaching them how to be work smarter, right? Because yeah. we don't 
have that physical brawn that the men do, yeah. but are required to do, like, let's lift a four by eight sheet of drywall. How are you going to do it smart and, and, ha- and not hurt yourself? And have the confidence to know that you ought not to. Right. Right. And how yes. do you say they, that and get away with right. it? Without, I, need, I need help. Yeah, without sounding pitiful. Right, right. Right. So, so I just wanted to back up for just a second yeah. because both Louise and and you, Alice, have mentioned a new uh-huh. and a new is a pre apprenticeship program program that um, originally was was developed specifically for women. Uh-huh. Um, I think they've kind of branched off now a little bit in in our our. It originally was the subtitle was for displaced homemakers. It was displaced. It wasn't that when I went there. <laughs> Maybe you just didn't listen to that. Wow. Yeah. So that's how really? old that is. In 1980, that's what we were calling it. Uh, I didn't make that up, of course, but I had to ride it for a while. Uh, yeah. And now it's uh, open because the letters used to stand for apprenticeship and non-traditional employment for women, mm-hmm. and even calling these kind of jobs non-traditional seems to it sets a premise. Yeah, it, it does. And it just says it's always going to be non-traditional. So let's, right, let's right. okay, it is now traditional. Right. It's just underrepresented maybe. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. We need to get the numbers up. Yeah, so they just stopped putting those little words following each letter. And there are some classes that are new that are all male, all female, or either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if, if you have a preference in a world that you think you could learn better in, you can pick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Cool. That's great. I had a great experience there. Yeah? Yeah, I thought it was, it was very helpful. Good and connections. It, yeah, it gave you connections, you know, it gave you a little bit of, you know, experience to put on your resume. It helped you understand, like, what each trade was. So they kind of touched on each thing, like they had a little electrical part, a little carpentry part. And, like, you could kind of, like, get a better feel for what would be best for you and kind of get a little head start how to operate the tools. And I mean, I know I hire people and they're like, don't know how to use a drill. And I'm like, really, we're starting there. Wow. And this sort of like gives them yeah. a little bit of a head start to where they're like, okay, we're going to yeah. use a drill, you know, let's go. So, so I, not this room, but I've been in lots of rooms with very nice people who couldn't name more than six trades. Hmm. You know, they know they're policemen, firemen, mail carriers, carpenters, what a new does, one thing is gives you a wide variety. Maybe you don't want to be any of those things, but wow, what is a sheet metal worker? What is, mm, you know, mm, I could right. work. Who even knows? What does a sheet metal worker do? What well, do they do? I right? think they work right with sheets of metal. I know, right. I know what they do. <laughs> From the Latin sheet. They make either, either they do duct work uh-huh. or they do uh, or like ornamental. Yeah. So the ornamental ones, they, they create like transitions and like roofs and like ways that yeah. Signs are flashed. Like mm-hmm. they do a lot of custom. There's not a ton of them out there, but they're very skilled. That's what my dad did. Yeah. And he could so they're like kind of artisans. Oh yeah. He would take yeah. a piece of paper and then he would cut the paper and fold it into what he was trying to make. That would make his template. Then he'd open it up, scale it, do it in metal, bend it, and it would be what he'd do it in paper wow. first. That's mm-hmm. that is that is artistry, right? Yeah. Almost Definitely. like now those people that print things and they become out three-dimensional. Right, yeah. But this he is did like, it himself. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So I uh, have this degree from the University of Washington. And after I was at ANU, uh, I got an offer for a job from somebody that had been an ANU teacher with me uh, in 
1884, I think, Melinda Nichols, who was the first woman carpenter apprentice in the state of Washington. Wow. Hmm. And she had gone to work at Seattle City Light in the carpentry shop. And if you go there now, it's a huge picture of her up on the ceiling. Oh, Way really? up high. They have to look up to her. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> and You're uh, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she said, hey, I, I, I want you to come here. I think we need you. I would be the subject matter expert for the physical demands of high-voltage pole climbing line workers. And those people would work out with me for six months of their job. They'd go out and learn to climb. They'd go to the cruise and learn names of how to drill and <laughs> whilst climbing a pole. And uh, then they'd spend three afternoons a week with me working out. And that's a lot of airtime for me to mess with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. That's a, a lot of time that I can make 12 people become a class and gel and support each other. And mm -hmm. You're good at math and you're good at climbing. How about if you cover her sometimes out there in the field and you help him with homework and all kinds of things. Wow. So, and they seemed receptive to that. Oh, no. no. I, I taught junior high and white center. I don't need receptive. <laughs> Just, I mean, they ended up liking it. Uh, I, I'm not well, everybody. Oh, not everybody. They don't have to like so, it. So they just have to do it. So it wasn't Seattle City Light that came and, and proposed this to you. It was you kind of had an in by somebody that was, it was working the, It there. was the director of the new department knew me from history. It's what women don't tend to have in the trades is somebody or some family or some connection. connection. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. what a new gives to people. Mm -hmm. And it gave it to me too. Almost everything in my life that I get messed up in comes from Melinda calling me. So I right. look very carefully. It's a, right. So we need to have Melinda on, on the podcast as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. We'll that down. So I worked there part-time and then full-time and then retired <laughs> and traveled all over and saw lots of people and did lots of pushing to other companies. To I often hired for an all-day workshop where the line workers, who are the biggest rodeo cowboys you ever saw, sure. uh, yeah. uh, and the HR people who don't even speak at a utility, I do a day-long workshop and they don't have to like it either. And for, by the end of the day, they're working together. Oh, Kumbaya and everything. <laughs> that is great. So I have the personality of a teacher. Mm -hmm. I I just did a workshop for a Kansas uh, leadership center and I didn't even know why they even did our article on this project I did. But by the end, when I was talking for an hour with the other people, I realized, oh yeah, we're leading people towards something. Uh, leading, teaching, and sales are all the same to me. Right. They just slightly yeah. spell different and different amounts of money coming back to you. Right. <laughs> That's true. Influencing people. Right? Yeah. Where you influence or people. some people call it manipulation. Well, it's you. However. Other people calling it <laughs> giving Stirring. people opportunities. <laughs> yeah. That led us to I retired, and then within a year, I got a phone call from Melinda. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going, oh, yeah, chat, chat, how you been? You know, we haven't talked for five years. Uh, you know that I'm a vice president of Lehigh. And I go, no, I don't even know what that is. Why are you calling me? And Lehigh is Low Income Housing Institute. And she said, uh, the, we just talked to the mayor, and she wants us to build a, a homeless house village that's all for women. I said, no, I didn't know that. How neat. Uh, and she said, um, I want to have it all be women that build it. And that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> because mm. you're that record keeper. You write things down. You know the names of people that were in your class. And I think you know how to do that Facebook stuff. So will you get a hold of See if you can get so, 
yes, I can do that. And that's what I began to do. And that's where I met you. Right. That's Amy Works went and yeah. did that build up in oh, Ballard. Oh, sure. They right. Did, yeah. All they, did a, they did a there house. Were, there were a couple of guys oh, yeah, they were, smattered around there, but, were, but it was... Yeah, it was fun. And I often, people ask, and sometimes guys would come to the door and knock with their tools in their hand and say, can I understand this is women? And Melinda and I always want, she doesn't usually say it, she laughs when I say it, but I usually say, oh yeah, we don't intend to be as mean to men as they are to us. So come on in. (laughs) They're going to be more welcome. Right, right. You know, we're asking for justice. We're not just doing it for us. We want justice for us. Or to isolate yeah. It's just like, yeah. want good workplaces and yeah. opportunities, right? And that was a lovely setting for lots of people who had very moving experiences being there on weekends, working in an environment where Melinda and I controlled what we did and who we ta- how we talked to each other. And, you know, some people would cry at the end of the day going, on Monday, I'm going to go back to work and it, the environment is not like this. Mm-hmm. So that's what every teacher just really loves if they can make a perfect environment because learning happens better when you're happy and moving. Every right. P, every PE teacher ever says. <laughs> well, and I think creating that different experience really highlights how terrible the work environment is that they're right. in. Yeah. And sort of like lights that fire of like, do I have to deal with this? Is there something I can do to like... Start my own business. Right. Work with only the people that are nice. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I get a lot of inquiries for my business, women wanting to get into this field and they want to come and work for me because, you know, we are predominantly women. We've yeah. got a couple of guys that work for us, but predominantly sure. women. And and they want to work. They want in to work that for, environment. For, for a woman, right? They don't mm-hmm. want to be working for, for the guys. Some of my guys, they want to work for a woman. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah. I wouldn't... Yeah, because it's so, it's. I don't feel very sorry for him, but it's hard for a good guy to be the only good guy in a group of bad guys. Right, hundred percent. And it's hard to stand up because I worked for three years in a lawsuit against the city of Seattle at one. It was all about a guy that stood up for somebody else being picked on, and so they directed their attention at him. Yeah, and then I helped him win. Yeah, <laughs> wow. good deal. So, so environment and what we do as teachers and learners and leaders and workers, you guys affect the world when you show up at work. When I could tell somebody, well, do you want a woman to come into your house and do that? And they go, you know somebody like Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. I just was talking to a company from Virginia and she wants me to do this big training and and it's about line workers. And I said, when she asked me what I wanted, I said, justice. (laughs) (laughs) And then I want to be on, uh, you know, let me write an article in your national magazine and I want to speak at the national convention too. And I want to uh, speak at it at (laughs) Seattle when it comes here. And I want to have some of your time on your uh, YouTube page. <laughs> she mm-hmm. said, what? I said, for instance, I would have women that are line workers come and talk and people could see them and hear them. And I mean, that's what they're going to have me come to speak at the National Convention. How do you find women? Mm-hmm. And what's your answer? Where do you keep them in your town? Go there. Yep. Yeah. I've answered that a thousand times. <laughs> and uh, I have some details about where they are too. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, do you think it's changed from, you know, when you started that answering that question? How do you get more women? Has that answer changed? They're in the same places, so that part hasn't changed. The question hasn't changed, and the number, the results haven't changed in 25 years. Yeah. Because really, that, there, there, there has not been an increase in in women getting into the uh, trades. Oh, getting in. The numbers have gone up. Staying. Like mm-hmm. at City Light, at the height, line workers, which is. My subject, I know the most. At one time on our dock, we had 20% of all of our line workers were female. Wow. And as administrations change, that 
emphasis goes away. I'm not there recruiting anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, so it, it, it Are they doing exit interviews to find why they're leaving? Probably not. And who would tell? Why would they tell? Right. right true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would, what would it serve them? Yeah, you hurt me that bad that many years. Why am I going to tell you? And here's the main thing of why we know what's wrong. When that woman who's worked there 16 years, making great money, doing mm-hmm. something she loves outside, hasn't recruited one friend or family member. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because she doesn't think she knows anybody that can put up with that, and she wouldn't want to put anybody in that place. Right. And what if they don't make it? Then how? She's only barely struggling. Mm-hmm. There's a science of being a token. Mm-hmm. For instance, I, I'll take a new class with me because I'm with them all of those hours, and we'll walk down the dock and we'll go by an African American group of men, and they'll stick out their hand and slap that black guy on the back as we walk by. Come back here. This is where we spend our time to have coffee breaks. We keep walking, and we get to go by a woman that's working, and she puts her head down. She doesn't say, oh, hi, Alice, even though I was her teacher. She doesn't say, oh, look, you've got some girls. Well, come. Mm-mm. She puts her head down and looks the other way and rushes off because here's what the science of tokenism says. If I stick out my hand, like we're in a pool of water, if I stick out my hand to help you, what if she drowns me? I don't know her. She could be horrible. And I'm barely making it. I'm barely keep treading water. I can't risk it. So you think the motivation is she's going to lose her spot? No, she's going to. Uh, I mean, it, make, yeah. it made more a little bit more sense to say, man, I've learned how to make it work, but this isn't the greatest. And so I'm not going to tell my best friend, hey, this is a great place to work. She doesn't think anybody else could put up with the shit she puts up with. Okay. And that to me is different than saying, you know, it's trying to be. There's only I, three women here and I don't want it. I right. No, that no, they're no, only going to let four people in. It's like, obviously you had 20% at one time. Uh-huh. So there were spots. Yeah. And yeah. we don't have quotas because affirmative action was outlawed in 2000 in the state of Washington. Did you know that? Yeah. That's part that. of why our numbers went down because then people that don't want it to happen, you say, well, we can't have, a, you know, numbers, but you could target recruiting and they stop doing that. And so when I traveled to Texas, I will talk to lots of people from lots of states that affirmative action is still available and you can target recruit and you can have a woman's only class. Because in the city of Seattle in 1973, we had 10 women hired. We're 40 years. I mean, still in uh, Alabama just hired their first woman line worker and they had this big, beautiful picture of her. It was on LinkedIn. And of course I go, wait, Congratulations, Sarah, whatever her name is. Way to go. And let me know if you need any help. But Alabama, it's it's 2022. What the heck? So I usually speak. But I don't mean to speak too harshly to them. Because, I mean, like you said, our numbers aren't that much, you know, better with as many years on them that we have. I I don't blame them for not wanting to be. I feel I have similar feelings. Like, I'm an extremely aggressive person. And if I wasn't, this would be terrible. Mm. Working in working in the field, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm like hostile. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's, so it's fine. But like, is everyone hostile? Like, no, yeah, no. Right. Do they have to be? I mean, I don't even want to be. But right, it is the only thing that works. Well, and, and that's so unfortunate. It's like, how do we get that shift out there? Fill the field with females. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. As as so, Katie's sitting there and she's she's teaching classes and mm-hmm. wanting to fill her classroom. And then there's Louise wanting to hire women for plumbing and me for my remodeling. Where do we find them? Yeah, I, I have to say, at least at our school, the the signs are are, are starting to be encouraging. 
Uh-huh. I mean, at least when, when I went through the program in the 90s, I was the only woman. I was the first woman to complete the boat building program, and I was the only woman for most of my time there. The boat program now is between 30 and 40 percent women. Yeah. Uh, my program, which used to be maybe 25 percent women, is now approaching 45 percent women. Our cabinet program, which has been terminated, always was between 45 and 50 percent women, even back in the 90s and before then. So there are women who are seeking out training. And at least in my experience when I'm teaching, those numbers are more and more. Um, and so there's interest in the trades and there's interest in the craft and, and, and learning. And what I'm finding is that there's starting to be, at least at least in residential carpentry, there's starting to be some critical mass at companies, companies mm-hmm. like Amy Works, but also some other companies. There's also a, a very large student network, much in the same way that there's a network from from a new so there's now critical mass of enough students who not only are highly trained but are women who were trained or men who trained alongside women or learned from women mm-hmm. and there's you know it's still not great but it's definitely better than 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whenever whenever I started which you know there's there's a long way to go uh, and at least for us it's word of mouth mm-hmm. so does the Seattle Central have professional development you have all these bodies who are now trained do you help place people or it's entirely faculty driven the only way it's been successful has been faculty our administration has never been is is, there's been such turnover in the administration so but it's word of mouth Mm -hmm. and you know it it's effective and so it's faculty talking to contractors it's contractors coming to visit and talk to our students and talk to our classes and then it's students hey, I'm working at this company and we're looking to hire. It's been a good place for me. You might want to come work here. Mm. Do you have any statistics on, on how many students actually go into that into that trade and, and stick around for five years? Do, does the college keep track of any college, of that stuff? The college will look for a year, um, but their metrics they use don't really relate to industry. So we as faculty keep track of students as much as we can. So it's, it's anecdotal, but we're, we're in close contact with, with a lot of our students. So we keep tabs on them. And at least in my program, right, and we're open access. So we take anybody, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're training for folks to go into the trades, but anybody who shows up at our door, as long as you have a GED or high school equivalent or high school diploma, you can come to us. So it sounds like we need to we need to figure out a, a job fair to put on at the Wood Tech Center for uh, uh, yeah. to let I, people know. I would love to see the descriptions and things that you put out to the public because that's the biggest thing wrong with most. I, I'm a big harper. Every place I go, every meeting I attend, I eventually say, it's 2022. When are you going to stop calling them foremen? Mm-hmm. I've heard you say linemen. And when are you going to stop saying linemen yeah. or journeyman worker? Uh-huh. Yeah, so they, that that's what's going to be on my tombstone, I'm sure, because people are going to be sick of hearing me. That's my theme song for this year. <laughs> what I was dis- we had another happy hour with younger workers. You know, people have not um, been in the industry as long as you guys have, and I was disappointed to hear how bad the workplace still is. Mm-hmm. You know how aggressive it is, and and it seems to me, to your point, Alice, where you had those high numbers, and you you had that attrition. It's because they didn't want to stay there, not because they didn't mm-hmm. like the activity. Most of them at City Light retired, and they weren't replaced. The new oh, so they, they had a career. They yeah. had a full career there. Yeah. Oh, okay. But we're talking about people who were hired in 73. They've retired, and some people moved okay. to other towns. Mm-hmm. And Yeah. And so do you think the policies of the city helped them stay? That, that was a nice place to work? Or was it a golden trap? They got enough money and the I, benefits were great. They kept their well, head down. Yeah. And- I think the city has 
the city has more people of color and women. Mm-hmm. I know. I see them around. Because we have t- we r- yeah. rules. Right. Then the, the regular construction industry and Private the industry. townhouse stuff, the, the non-union, is really bad. It's mostly all men. Yeah. And my friend worked at Selin and was elevated to, like, supervisor. And they made it so hard for her that she just doesn't want to do it anymore. She is now back to just a regular... Yeah, Selin's supposed to be one of the better companies to work for. That's why they wanted to elevate her. They wanted more women. Oh. And it was... She was the token. Well, and it, yeah, there's a ton of tokens over at Selin, but... That they didn't clean up the crap around it. No, yeah. there's a lot of, like, toxic, toxic masculinity that really kind of stifles this at every turn, you know? Like, it... The tox- that toxic masculinity, if, if that's not, like, looked at, I, I, it, it's hard to it's go anywhere. perpetuate, right? So it's with that, with that in mind, though, what I find interesting is with models like you have a highly regarded business, I think I can name the number of women-owned construction-related small businesses. It seems to me if it's crappy to work there, why are there more not more women putting out their own shingle? Because you still have to work with superintendent. Like, I still have to work with a general contractor. So if I work with a general contractor and they're toxic, it's the same situation. Mm -hmm. And I'll be sending my guys out to speak for me, look, say this, say this, say that, and to get anything accomplished. Because if it's me, it's a big argument. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a woman and I'm tall and I'm gay and they don't want none of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what we talked about the environment when we were building 21 tiny houses on weekends for right. a summer. You can make that environment. Where- right. I guess that's my question. Like, I think we're starting, you know, with programs like Hades running that you're start and what you would start to build, Alice, that you're now starting to get the interest, mm-hmm. you know, and those bodies there. How do we give them safe places to work and mm-hmm. interesting places to work and rewarding places to work? And it seems to me going to the... You've been working for a long time trying to make those atmospheres better, and they're not getting better. We, we have to have more people in high management, mm-hmm. more women in high mm-hmm. high places mm-hmm. that yeah. are not just tokens. Yes, yeah. that that got there because that of have their power, s- right? That take mm-hmm. their power and yeah. use their power. Yeah, exactly. Because I think tokenism is like doesn't mean you're not qualified. Yeah, you right. know, it doesn't mean that you're not very good at it. Right. It just means that they've put you in a position and you have no power. Right. Just visibility you know, thing. Right. right. Yeah. And when I talk to companies about hiring. I just did a webinar and there were a hundred some people in the audience and they're from six countries. And they were all talking about, how do you hire women? We don't know. You know, and I answer, well, where do you keep them? And, you know, 40 years behind Seattle. When I was talking to the director of education of an electrical power organization, professional organizations of public power, this woman said to me, how come I've never heard of you. Almost like she was saying what I was saying wasn't the truth. And you have to be way meaner than that to get me to be quiet. And then she said, how come I've never heard of all these successes at Seattle? And my answer to her just off the top of my head was all the guys running all the companies and running all the crews and doing all the hiring. But she lived on the other side of the country. All those guys between you and I don't want this to spread. So they hushed it. It's like we're a hidden history, like mm-hmm. if we'd been yeah. done math for NASA. Right. So I, right. when I said what I want is to be able to use your YouTube station and put women on, like I said, well, like for instance, my friend Nettie, she's the first African-American woman line worker in the world. And those women at the other end of the 
podcasts about passed out. And when I talked to them longer, they hadn't even hardly seen any men that were African-American beeline workers. So all the good jobs, all the stable jobs. I mean, this is a good job. Line worker pre-apprentices at City Light, my last year of working there, they made more that year than I made in my 25th year working in a job that I had a master's degree in. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to have that be exactly equal, but that's why they're protected. And and in the trade, some of the trades that I've worked with, they talk about they want to keep it FBI hiring. FBI? Friends, brothers, and in-laws. That's mm-hmm. They didn't like it that I went to places where women jumped out of airplanes and found there was a whole bunch of women there that weren't afraid of heights and we could hire them. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't go to a badminton Events, not that I dislike badminton players, and there's probably some rowdy ones. But I went to where I played rugby, and I recruited rugby players. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to make us cry. <laughs> I mean, with a mouth guardian and hit your head, you still cry. But uh, <laughs> So those guys didn't want me doing that because that ups the competition on the written test that their brother, in-law, mm-hmm. cousin may not be able to pass the test high enough to get noticed now. Interesting. I see. Katie, what... In your world, do you think would help the the placement issue and the workplace issues? Do you discuss that at all in your um, in your classes what, alongside of actually learning the skills? We do. We we talk a lot about it, and it, it's kind of my my mission to talk about it with 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 students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of it is developing relationships with companies that have a good culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of our students are interested in working for companies. They're, they're, a lot of our students um, are very interested in the company culture, the safety culture, recycling, green building, um, what the culture is like for women or non-binary students or, or people of color. Like they're, 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 they're interested in that. So some of it is just legwork of identifying companies that might be a good fit. Mm. Uh, some of it is providing the best possible training and the most experience for all students, but particularly for underrepresented folks going in the trades. Uh, it's, it's hard enough starting in a trade. Um, so making sure that, that students are as well-trained as possible before they, before they head out. Um, and then some of it is I spend time with, with students um, who are not typical in the trades on how to walk into a shop and own it and how to be confident in what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And kind of how to talk the talk and, and some of the, the, the nonverbal communication, uh, you know, how to approach an interview, how to approach something that you don't know how to do right. and say it in a way um, that's positive rather than negative. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time uh, on that. And then also just kind of talking students up that they, they come out of our program with an enormous amount of knowledge and skill. They don't have a whole lot of speed and experience because we don't have the time for that, but making sure that they have confidence in their knowledge and skill and, and letting them know that, that the, the speed will come with experience. And, and a lot of our students within six to nine months, you know, move, move up into leadership. Um, they sort of realize that, that they do know something, they do have some skills. And, and so I think that we've got some companies that hire our students that, they have sort of informal apprenticeship programs or some more formal apprenticeship programs um, where they're assigned to a lead carpenter who kind of looks out for them or provides some additional training. Cause a lot of our students are very interested in learning, mm-hmm. right? They've sacrificed a lot to come to school. And so they want to go someplace where they can continue learning. And so the, the companies that have sort of, they team somebody up to sort of keep an eye on them for six, nine months um, have been really successful 
in retaining students and also in recruiting new students, as opposed to companies where you're just sort of thrown out on your own and sort of left to flounder. If somebody has a more outgoing personality, they tend to be more successful. If somebody's not as outgoing or gets intimidated or doesn't feel as confident, then they tend to not be as successful. Sure. And you're saying that interface is faculty driven at this point? A hundred percent faculty driven mm. and, and always has been. We've had no administrative support and there's such turnover that, you know, our administrators don't even know the names of our programs yeah. right now. They don't know what we teach. I mean, they, they don't have any information to provide that kind of support. So it's really been just faculty working with students and then former students at companies right. saying, hey, we need to hire somebody. I went through this great program and sort of starting programs at their companies. And that just astounds me that, that the college is, is unaware or unwilling. I think it's more unaware of the need out in the industry for people in the trades and, and that they're not giving more support to, to these programs there because, I mean, we but are the just, board isn't directing that. Right. That we are just, priority. you know, we are yeah. dying for these people. And, okay. and I have hired several of these people from the Wood Tech Center and I just love them. The knowledge that they come out of there with is mm-hmm. amazing. And it's like, yeah, like Katie was saying, they may not be the fastest ones, but man, they just, they, they grasp stuff and they are just willing to do whatever. Um, and those are the kind of people that we need out in the field right now. And, and it's like trying to get the college to to understand that that need is so high. And it's like, OK, we need affordable housing. We need houses built. We need and we need employees. Mm-hmm. And so and we've got one conduit right there that can feed us. And the college is kind of like, eh, so maybe not. So, Katie, who's the governing body? How would we get to the administration, even if it flips over, to say, okay, if you're going to flip every few years, we're going to have this conversation every few years? That's a good question. Is there a board or is that a so district? There's, there's, a, there's the Seattle Colleges District, okay. uh, which right now has three independent colleges, North Seattle, South Seattle, and Seattle Central. There's a big move um, – on the part of the board of trustees and the chancellor to consolidate into one college mm. uh, with three campuses. And it's, it's not going smoothly, um, but there's a lot of turnover and a lot of turmoil. Um, and so if that happens, then the board of trustees and the chancellor presumably would be the, the top. Uh. Um, other than that, you know, I think central has always been more academically focused and they don't really know what to do much with their technical programs. Uh-huh. So we at Wintech, we had our own campus. They always sort of left us alone, which was great because we, we ran it ourselves and we did it really well. Mm. And now um, they're trying or uh, let's say they've completely sidelined faculty who had, had run it and students um, and have kind of put in this class of administrators who don't know anything about the trades or our programs who don't show up and don't have any training in their jobs. And it's just it, it's really been a problem for, for, for a lot of the technical programs. Uh, it's not just us at, at Wood Tech. So right now, it's it's a hard question to answer with mm. the school. It's it's really been you know sort of self driven, uh, and it would be great to it'd be great to get back to that. Uh, so we have a tech we we have a technical advisory committee. Uh, Amy is is one of our co chairs, uh, and in the past at least we would rely a lot on the TAC uh, to help help support our programs. Um, and you know like any any board, there's turnover as well, and so we're sort of you know there's turnover lots of lots of parts of the. The program, but but for an example, ten years ago there were eight full time faculty, and we ran programs four quarters out of the year. There are two of us now. Hmm. Jeez. Mm-hmm. There's very little will right now, um, and so the more industry can clamor for it, well, hopefully the better. Well, it's like this: like any high school advisor doesn't advise right. for the trades; right. they're going to advise for college, for mm-hmm. higher education, and and we're short workers, you know. 
um, and and the college's will to work with the trade programs is another manifestation of that. And it may be an opportunity for women pro, women's programs to bring more folks to the trades than anybody. Mm-hmm. That be the case, now you've got your numbers. So, I mean, it's an opportunity, but at the same time, it sort of speaks to a general systemic issue anyways around trades and, like, the value of being in the trades. And I just think it's an ignorance of a lot of the people yeah. at the high school level that are advising students. They all went to college, and that's all they know. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta right. go. You gotta go to college. Too. You gotta go to college. But Everybody. they all went to college. They right. Not yeah. they don't know anybody that went to trade school. No. Once uh, Washington, uh, Seattle City Light, we had a, a in service day and got them college credit, and had uh, counselors at all the high schools come to Seattle City Light and walk around and see the jobs and learn the names of jobs. You know what's a cable splicer do, and what's a meter electrician do, and what's a meter reader compared to that, and and they got an hour, a day's worth of training, and we had lots of recruiting four years after that. But that's long term recruiting, right? Right, and that's very important. I brought for all of you guys to look at, uh, and maybe somebody can make a list of them. But long term recruiting is very important. Uh, Louise said that her dad told her, I came from a family, I'm a fifth-generation farmer in Kansas. We, My sisters and I inherited our farm from our mother, who inherited the farm from her mother, who inherited cool. her farm from her mother, who was the homesteader mm. with her husband. I didn't hear, I was in college the first time I ever heard somebody say, you can't do something because you're a girl. And that just slipped off of me. It didn't hit me in the heart where somebody had wounded me all my life. It it, it made no sense. Yeah, that was foreign. Yeah. yeah. And so if we have women coming in that kind of want to do this, but some of them didn't have a background, so that's what places like Anu and colleges can do is give them the hand starting places. And it depends upon personality really matters. And I'm going to tell you one kind of personal story that my family told my whole life that my dad knew and I am my dad. We're replicas of each other. And uh, He said he knew that I would be okay in the world. <laughs> when I was young, uh, I had to go one day out to the farm with him. We lived in town. I had to go to the farm, and he was welding, and he was doing stuff, and he had a job to do, and I he had this little tiny kid. I don't think I was in school yet, <laughs> maybe in grade school. And he would send me off to get something for him He was, while he's doing this work. And I came back. I couldn't do it. I didn't find it. It was in the truck and I couldn't find it. He yelled at me and told me to do it again and told me where it was and what it looked like. And I came back and I'm crying the second time. And I don't know where it is. I look for it. And he said, he said in the meanest voice that he had, what, what do you want me to do? Draw you a picture of it? And I looked up at him and I beamed and said, yeah, I really think that would help. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So he, after that, told me all my life that story. He said, I knew you were going to be able to take care of yourself. (laughs) And so not everybody has that. The answer is multifaceted. So we need to train women. We need to give books to them like this. They need to see that women do things. The punishment at a job site when somebody does something to a woman she ought to be listened to mm-hmm. i sometimes have had debates on linkedin with somebody who were talking about those problems and a woman have got, has gotten on and said i just so i just think you're being so mean my dad was a so and so and my brothers and they were supervisors and they never did any of that to anybody and 
you know, so I write, well, aren't we lucky? Your daddy and mine were good, but there's a whole bunch of other people out there that are not that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And why don't you spend some of your energy supporting the woman that comes to you and tells you it happened? Instead of saying it, well, it didn't happen to me. Yeah. He, right. You know? Like what, well, and it's been going on for so long that yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's like that's, we're, we're numb to it. Mm-hmm. Right? We just don't realize that that behavior is unacceptable. Well, and I think there's a generation of women coming up who aren't going to take this shit anymore. I love it. You know, there was a, Amy Schumer has this great joke of, you know, these young women, they were talking about sexual harassment. They're saying, has this always been happening to you guys? We're like, well, Yeah. Well, how about if that doesn't happen? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, you're right. It's, like, it, it's so ingrained in us that right. we can be angry about it and, and, and quit and all kinds. But we also just don't have to accept it, mm-hmm. you know, if we change some of this, the other systematic. And mm-hmm. the people in power, like you say, you know, getting people. I don't have involved. to be called a meter man. Right. right. I could just say, today, let's stop that. There's yeah. no advantage to it. Wow. This has just been That's wonderful. Right. Yeah, we could yeah, go on for... Hours, gonna- <laughs> hours and hours and hours. We, we got to cut this short and we can do it again yeah, for sure right. sometime. This has been absolutely wonderful. But you have some round robins just um, in honor of right. women's history. Women, women's history. Um, so, Louise, do you have a woman that has been a great influence on your life? I think Zan, the uh, rad dyke plumber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is I mean, she's a lot, but at the same time, like she's – She's in front of me, you know what I mean? Yeah, like she yeah. put That's up, the person I first heard we, of. We need more people like her out in the field. She's a badass. She is, absolutely. The need for that has not gone away. Right. right. Yeah. And I often explain, some people don't want to be a pioneer. They want to be a settler. You know, I don't want to be Annie Oakley. I want to be Laura Ingle Wilder, have a nice house. Both all right. We need both. Yeah. <laughs> but right? one yeah. has to come first to blaze the trail. Yeah. 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 What about what about you, Katie? Do you have a uh, you have somebody that's that's uh, inspired you? Yeah, inspired you. You know, I, I really think for me it starts with my family. That I have a bunch of sisters mm-hmm. and my mom, and they all ended up doing things that, that women were told they shouldn't do or couldn't do, and they did anyway, and they did it better than the men. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had a dad who was amazingly supportive um, of all of that. And so when I when I think about it, it it. I look to them for inspiration. Um, I'm one of the youngest in the family. And anytime I got discouraged, I'd think about one of my older sisters or what my mom went through in the forties. And they provided that inspiration. And so I try and do that now uh, Mm. for my students who didn't have that in their families or even had a family. Awesome. What about you else? Uh, I would say my four great, great grandmothers that were pioneers to Kansas uh, right after the civil war. Did you know? Uh, did you know any of them? Oh no! Were you able to meet? We're slow reproducers. Oh okay. All right. <laughs> and All so right. Uh, I only knew one of my granddads. Everybody else was dead. Oh, okay. We don't date early, and we don't have babies early. So oh, okay. We're, we're spread out. Because <laughs> I actually knew my great great grandmother. Oh, how or, sweet. No, my great. I'm sorry, my great grandmother. Uh, what about yeah. you, Amy? You know, as as weird as it is, it's not a woman, but as weird as it is, it it is my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was racist misogynistic, male chauvinist. But for whatever reason, he taught me so much and he was not that way with me. Mm. And it was, he always treated me more like a son than he did a daughter. And he treated me differently than, than my sisters. Um, Mm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I see this picture of him and then the family and we see him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, my, my, my dad in a weird, weird light. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got the same dad. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he knew, I think he knew before I ever did that I was gay and, and he just like, all right, come Let on. Let me help you out on this. Right. I down in the mm-hmm. basement, you know, doing sanding and tools and yeah, yep, changing tires and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What about you, Alicia? I have to kind of go with, uh, Katie and Alice and that, that my family, yeah. you know, my, my grandmothers were amazing all in their own way. My mom was amazing and my dad was a feminist. And so kind of back to what you said, Alice, like it was alien to me uh-huh. that I was set apart because of gender. And, and, and mom was not a silent person either when it came like, uh, is the, not, is, is not correct. <laughs> and, uh, uh, like, uh, when my sister, my older sister in gym, they had the girls wear a different gym outfit than the yeah. boys. And she's like, no. I mean, went to the school, went to the district and went to the, you know, much to my sister's horror, you know, yeah. didn't want to be set out like that. But yeah, they were, they're real influencers around the community and, and to me specifically. So. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah, pretty amazing. And, and dad showed me a lot of stuff too. You know, I still, I have these great videos of, you know, building our garage, you know, and I'm <laughs> hanging out with them and looking up as we're putting the framing up, you know, and he'd climb up the ladder and. Be right underneath them, you know, <laughs> as if I have some input to say. I don't need to be looking down. And, and my favorite story is when we're working on a car, and I'd be down there holding the flashlight, and I was very interested in what he was doing. So I'd finally say, um, Alicia, I need to see. <laughs> well, I can't see when I put it where you are. So that was my greatest first skill oh, is yeah. putting the light where the person who's working on it can see. Oh, well, I feel like thanking everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Louise and Alice and Katie for joining us. This has been absolutely wonderful. And we'll put uh, the most relevant link that y'all want to share in the description of the podcast. Right. right. This has just been amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you all. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Alicia. Makes me wonder. This podcast is sponsored by AmyWorks, a residential remodeling contractor in Seattle. We want to help you realize the dream of your next kitchen, bath, or basement remodel. Check out some of our work on our website, amyworks.com. Give us a call at 206-478-2019 or send us an email at help at amyworks.com.